Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on and... You're listening to the Smart Start Now Show, where we believe every business should have a smart start, whatever your ethnic background. This podcast will examine the global challenges facing minority entrepreneurs in business. We will tackle the challenges of access to capital, alternative funding sources, and community economic development. I'm your host, Richard Snow. I'm a senior commercial financing professional, national speaker, and a contributor to multiple magazines and newspapers. But above all, an advocate for economic equality through entrepreneurship. I will have the privilege of interviewing minority disruptors and influencers, reshaping this generation's now theory of business. At Smart Start, we hope to educate, inspire, and uplift the global melting pot of entrepreneurs all over the world. So I welcome you to your Smart Start. Welcome back, Smart Start Now podcast community. We have the pleasure of interviewing today Ursa Jackson. Ursa Jackson serves as the chair for Clark Hill Strasburger Franchise and Distribution Team and the chair of the firm's diversity committee. She structures franchises and assists franchisors with ongoing transactional needs. She is also the chair of the IFA Diversity Institute. Jackson also handles litigation matters in the following areas, business and commercial, False Claims Act, business torts, franchise and distribution, trademark infringement, misappropriations of trade secrets, contract disputes, and probate. She has written and spoken extensively on franchise issues and is a former director of the Litigation and Dispute Resolution Division of the American Bar Association Forum on Franchising. Ursa Jackson recently led a discussion about diversity declaration at the 2020 International Franchise Association Convention in Orlando, Florida. Ursa has been one of the most influential African-American women lawyers in the U.S. since 2001. So I am glad to have a powerhouse in the industry a humble servant in the industry who is a servant in diversity and inclusion. She really is out there on the front lines fighting for us and our seat at the table. So I welcome Ursa Jackson to the Smart Start Now podcast. Richard, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to the audience of Smart Start Now It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Thank you for the work that you are doing in the community to expand and improve the community. I am pleased to talk about my work in the diversity and inclusion space and how it intersects with franchising. I've been in franchising for 22 years. It's my first love in law, and um, I got involved with the International Franchise Association early on in my career. One of the things that I noticed as I attended those large conventions of 4,000, I started to ask who was missing at the table. I found the IFA's Minorities and Franchising Committee, um, and from there, the Diversity Institute was born. 
Um, the Diversity Institute has done some great work throughout the years, and we are on a path to do something that's groundbreaking. You mentioned the Diversity Declaration that we introduced at the 2020 International Franchise Association Convention in Orlando, Florida. But let me give you a little bit of backdrop about how we got to the Diversity Declaration that we are releasing in 2020. Uh, periodically, we will look at and survey the representation of minorities and women in franchising. PricewaterhouseCoopers has done that study for us through a generous donation from Coca-Cola from year to year. In 2018, we released um, the study and we were pleased with the results in that growth of franchising uh, and its representation of women and minorities was improving. That was great. With women, it was growing by leaps and bounds. With regards to diverse populations, it was growing as well. That study also highlighted that the franchise-operated minority-owned businesses outperformed the non-franchised businesses. We looked at that as an opportunity to take that message to our members and also to talk to individuals on Capitol Hill about that study. But we also looked at that study in conjunction with the changing demographics. We all know that the demographics of the U.S. is going to flip by 2050. For sure, we're going to see some substantial changes just by 2020. We looked at it as an opportunity for our member companies to expand their base of franchisees, to expand their base of employees, their suppliers. So we looked at this as a win-win. We looked at that data and thought about how we might position it to get it in front of our member companies. So that was the genesis of the early discussions that have now led us to the diversity declaration. So we are excited about the direction that we're going with franchising. We're excited that the leadership of the International Franchise Association has gotten behind this effort as well. Our president and CEO of the International Franchise Association, Robert Crisanti, recently authored an article in Forbes that you can find online. But I want to share a quote that really summarizes why we are here with the Diversity Declaration. Uh, this is a quote from Robert. In 2020, neither your company nor your industry can afford not to be a leader in diversity and inclusion. I've learned firsthand that diverse voices with differing backgrounds and perspectives are necessary for any organization's success. And as leaders, we must ensure that all Americans are given an opportunity to succeed. That just stick a pen in it. Robert nailed it. That's what we're trying to do with the diversity declaration. If you'd like, uh, Richard, I can talk a little bit more about how the D Diversity Declaration will roll out this year. Please continue. Excellent. So during the convention, we started to build some consensus with our member companies. We have talked to many large organizations that have been around for many years. They're international. We've got some that are domestic only. We want this to be a conversation and a dialogue with our member companies to talk about what's working in their diversity and inclusion efforts, where they are struggling, where the Diversity Institute can be a resource for them. We're also polling companies that have already adopted diversity and inclusion statements in order to get kind of a collective thought about kind of where we are and where we want to go. We have a committee that will be in charge of actually drafting the 
declaration that'll be one to two pages in length. Um, we plan to roll that out at our Franchise Action Network um, meeting this fall in Washington, D.C. But between now and then, we will be doing some consensus building, talking to member companies, and working on the drafting process. So anyone that wants to have input in it, we are definitely welcoming that input. Excellent. And I'm proud to be a part of the Diversity Institute Board and proud to do the work under your leadership. So it greatly explained our agenda, um, how we're moving forward. And I want to let anybody out there in the Smart Start Now podcast community that wants to be a part of this effort, feel free to engage me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I can give you information how you too can be a part of this because this is a collaborative effort. We need all hands on deck to obtain that audacious goal of 2030 franchising being the most diverse sector in industry. Now, I do want to go into many times we focus on more minorities becoming franchisees, but there's a lot of independent mom and pop businesses that are thriving, they're successful in their geographic location, they have amazing following. So what legal steps can an independent minority-owned business take to franchise their company and become the Zor outside of becoming the Z? Excellent question, Richard. I love having this discussion because what I find when I talk to people about franchising, they just really don't understand the process. Some of your listeners are probably sitting on a gold mine of opportunity and don't know how to take it to the next level. So being a certified franchise executive and also a lawyer, I wear my business and my legal hat at the same time. Some of the questions that I typically will pose to a business that's considering franchising um, are the following. One, how easy is it to replicate the business? Is this something that's unique to you as an individual? How easily can you teach this business to someone else? I also ask, What's unique? What separates your business from other businesses? I want to also inquire about infrastructure. Who's on your management team? Um, Do you have the infrastructure or do you need to grow the management team in order to get to the next level? I also inquire about supplier relationships. Um, Are the current suppliers going to be able to support you nationally if you expand nationally? Um, Intellectual property is very, very key as well. To the extent you've got trademarks, that you've got other items that you want to brand that are unique to the business, those are some of the preliminary things that I typically go into. From a legal standpoint, I typically explain to them just the basic definition of what a franchise is. Richard, I use a kind of a simple um, um, three M's so that they get the general idea. There's a legal definition, but I tell clients to think in terms of money, mark, and a marketing plan. Where you've got those three elements, you've got a franchise. And unless there is some type of exemption that applies, you you will find yourself under the franchise regulatory scheme. There is a federal law that governs franchising and um, designates 23 items of information that must be in that disclosure document, but there's also the state regulatory scheme as well. So after you comply with federal requirements, there are certain state requirements. But again, we walk companies through from start to finish 
on those types of uh, legal aspects of franchising. Uh, we also have contacts. We don't draft the operations manual, but we've got companies that we work with to assist any of our clients that would need to develop an operations manual. But that's kind of in a nutshell. Those are some of the preliminary things that I typically will discuss with my clients that are considering franchising their current business. And, and, and thank you for that information. Very concise, very rich information you just provided to the audience. Ballpark, I know it can change and vary from one client to another, but ballpark, what is the estimated cost or expense to go from being an independent business owner to a franchise? Zor. Good. Uh, excellent question. So something that I didn't get into earlier are kind of the multiple models. Most of the models are going to have kind of a single unit model. There are some where there might be a master or a hybrid area representative model, but just talking about the base model um, to get all of the legal documentation prepared, get your intellectual property registered, you're looking at somewhere in the thirty to $40,000 range. It can be more or less depending on how complicated the system is. Will you need to set up multiple entities in order for everything to operate smoothly um, if there are going to be a lot of assets involved? Also, if there are some supplier relationships that are going to need to be documented. But that's a good ballpark idea to keep in mind. Um, I also get the question about timing. And the timing, to uh, a great extent, depends on the time that the client has to devote to the project. Um, we are working on a couple of structuring projects right now. I have one client group, and they are very quick at turning things around as soon as I send drafts of things. Others, it takes them longer because they're still very hands-on with their key business. Again, it goes to that infrastructure. Do you have the bandwidth to expand, or is it going to be difficult for you to expand because you don't have someone taking care of home base while you look at the expansion project. So timing-wise, uh, that's usually going to take a couple of months. It could take even longer to get everything structured depending on the rollout plan and the time that the management team has to put into it and whether the client is going to prepare their own operations manual or if they're going to get someone to assist with that. But I would uh, say a couple of months to, it could be up to six months or a year depending on how fast the client wants to move from a legal standpoint, we can typically get everything done in a couple of months. Excellent. And for my audience out there, our current business owners that are um, having this discussion, just know that can be counted as part of your expansion. So you can go to your financial institutions, uh, work out a budget of what it would take for you to expand and become a franchisor, and they will provide working capital if your net operating income can support and service the debt that you're requiring. So don't think that you're coming all out of pocket cash. This can all be financed as well. So I just want to lay that out there that this transition is not difficult. Um, it does take time. You do need expertise such as Ursa Jackson on your team. But also I wanted to bring up, we had a conversation early in the year. We spoke to some governmental constituents within the Philadelphia government in regards to the opportunity zones. And you're doing a lot of work on the opportunity zones. So a couple questions. What is an opportunity zone? How can diverse business owners take full advantage of this opportunity to empower low to moderate income communities? And are we at the table or are we missing the boat here? 
Excellent question, Richard. Uh, so there's been a lot of questions raised about the opportunity zones. The first thing that I want to uh, share with the listeners, the actual zones or the areas that are designated, those are already set. And uh, there are a couple of websites that you can go to to find out what's a qualified opportunity zone. It has to be designated as a qualified opportunity zone. Um, Some of the great advantages about the opportunity zones um, is the ability to defer gains on um, uh, that you make on the investment in a qualified opportunity zone, uh, deferral of taxes. Uh, In many instances, I won't get into too much detail, but you've got the ability to reduce the gains with step-up, and that's probably more tax uh, information that we want to get into here. But also, there's the ability, if you hold the investment for long enough, to exclude the taxes on the gains. But it has to be capital gains that you invest in a qualified opportunity zone. There are some timing mechanisms here. For purposes of our conversation today, remember 180 days because generally you're going to need to take some action. If you get a capital gain, you're going to need to take some action within 180 days. Um, There's also been some uh, questions about kind of timing and can you still get full benefits or is it too late? It's not too late. One of the things that people need to know with regards to the step-up in basis or the tax treatment, there is one window that has passed, uh, but you can still hold that interest for five years and get the 10% uh, step-up in basis. Uh, So it's not too late. From the standpoint of a business wanting to position itself for the investment, first of all, you need to find out if your business is within the Qualified Opportunity Zone, Um, and then figuring out when there are programs. There are lots of groups um, that are in uh, communities and jurisdictions that are setting up meetings for the purpose of introducing prospective investors to the operators or the individuals in those communities who want to invest and get the favorable tax treatment. So when you see that there's something locally going on, you show up at those meetings to introduce yourself. If you've got a business that you want to pitch, that's the time to talk with the folks that are looking to invest. There are many people looking to take advantage of the tax benefits here. And by the way, this was a bipartisan um, effort. Cory Booker co-sponsored this. Uh, There's been a lot of questions about sort of is this a good thing, is it a bad thing? Um, There uh, are definitely good motives and intentions with the qualified opportunity zones. And I would urge people to get involved when there's programming going on locally. Definitely jump in. I can be a resource for folks who are trying to position themselves either to invest and set up an opportunity zone fund or to position their business as an attractive alternative for someone looking to invest. Excellent. And I I thank you for the synopsis on that complicated program um, and sharing that information. But it's important to have in in the future, we will conduct workshops wrapped around this. We'll have virtual seminars to break out more information because, again, the Smart Star Now podcast, we are your, your village. We are your circle. So I'm bringing you subject matter experts and influencers within the industry that have tons of knowledge, such as URSA, and we want to dive deeper into this information to 
raise and lift and uplift this community. So I, I think this is absolutely important in the information. I'm, I'm here taking notes myself. So it's excellent to hear the information you're sharing. Last but not least, this is more from a, a personal standpoint. Ursa, you're dynamic. You're always out there on the road, championing this cause. How do you fuel yourself? What, how do you keep your energy at a high level? What are you doing to educate yourself? What are you currently reading? What, what techniques are you using to stay sharp? That's really good. So I have a number of thought leaders that I listen to. Um, I love uh, some life uh, coaches. Lisa Nichols is someone that I am following now. Um, One of my favorite thought leaders is Melody Hobson also. Plus, I'm reading the book called Boundaries. (laughs) And so those are some of the things that I do outside of work. But, you know, Richard, this is something that I am passionate about. And so when you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel like it's work. Um, I am passionate about diversity and inclusion, expanding franchising to groups that are underrepresented. So it's something that fuels me. Um, I've got a drive, natural drive to do it. I enjoy doing it. And I'm really excited about where we're going in 2020 and beyond with franchising. Excellent. Well, I, I really thank you for your time today. Um, I'm honored to serve under your leadership I'm excited about what's to come for the IFA Diversity Institute and the Diversity Declaration. And this was a blessing to my audience today. So I hope you have your notebooks are full. Um, You can insert any message you want on any of the social media streams. So for more information, I will tag Ursa in all promotions. So she will get those questions. And when she can return back or create that uh, one-on-one communication with you. She will. She's very dedicated and very responsive. So Ursa, I thank you for being a part of this show. Um, I thank you for sharing your knowledge and information. And I look forward to what's to come. Yes, Richard, thank you. I look forward to the great work that we're going to do with the Diversity Institute board. I am delighted that you're on the board with us. You've already been a renegade and a go-getter. So I'm looking forward to 2020. Thank you so much. Every week, Smart Start Now will share the entrepreneurship stories from our global village around the world. To learn more information on Smart Start Now, go to www.smartstartnow.net to listen to past episodes or just learn about our future initiatives. Once again, we thank you for listening to Smart Start Now.